Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers and for anyone with a morbid fascination with how the story sausage is made. On this show we have three, count them, three central planks to our writing manifesto. Plank the first to help you write more, plank the second to help you write better and plank the third to help you be a little bit happier as you do those things. To that end I sometimes get authors on this show to talk to them about how they write their books and how they can give us some advice that might help us uh, apply that to our own work. I sometimes talk about general aspects of writing. I look at readers, uh, well, listeners, first pages and give feedback and sometimes I do what I call writing rambles, which just kind of B-sides, really. They're just me talking uh, on a particular subject uh, as it comes to me. Little updates, little diary entries. That's what today's is. This is just like, if you haven't listened to the show before, I suggest you go and listen to one of the uh, first page feedback episodes uh, as a sort of start jumping off point or one of the interviews. They're a, a little bit, bit uh, tighter. Um, but I... I've just got back from Essenspiel in Germany, where I was going to... I was going to say I was going there to cover the event, but that makes it sound more professional than it was. I wanted to go there for the experience, but I was sort of doing it for work as well. Um, Essenspiel is the world's biggest tabletop games event, and it's not happened for three years because of the plague. And I've never been before. I'm constitutionally not well built for conventions being in an unfamiliar place surrounded by thousands of people with poor regard for personal space uh but i went anyway because i wanted to try it once in my life and i'm glad i went this episode isn't gonna be about tabletop games by the way this hasn't turned into a a games podcast. I just wanted to sort of say that's where I've been. Um, and I'm going to, in some future episodes, I'm going to do some feedback episodes because where I look at listeners' first pages because I haven't done a, one of them for a while. And I, I know that they're your favourite. So, well, they're certainly one of the most popular types I do. So that feels like an easy win for me. I'm also going to do a new episode uh, on the how to write a novel <laughs> saga stroke debacle. Um, I've actually done some writing and I'm quite interested in how that's going and I want to write more. Uh, but today I just want to do a writing ramble where I don't really plan what I'm going to talk about and I just give you an update on where I'm at and probably end up uh, giving some kind of disquisition on some aspect of creative writing, either the craft or the psychology of it. Sometimes I'm just talking about myself and uh, and my mental health, which I, I sort of realise isn't always intrinsically uh, useful to you to apply to your writing. But we all ha are enthusiastic end users of a human brain, I'm assuming. And uh, I think that, if nothing else, uh, gives everyone a sort of a, a jumping on point uh, where you can uh, relate to that because I, th I think you know psychology of writing is the point of failure for m do I want to say most writers I want to say a lot of writers I, I do think that 
I, I mean, you, I guess perhaps I'm sort of slightly grandfathering everything into the under the aegis of psychology because we all use our minds to write. So isn't everything psychology? And, and certainly I, I, I've encountered writers who are, I suppose, the most charitable interpretation of their oeuvre is that they are not overly constrained by questions regarding their technical competence as storytellers. Let's put it that way. They don't really care. And I don't think that makes them bad people or even wrong. Like, fundamentally, at the centre of your writing ought to be, I believe, and I, I really loved, um, I, there was a great tweet by C.L. Polk, I might have even mentioned this last episode, but about how, you know, it was quite like a nicely mis mischievous one, uh, uh, but just saying, you know, maybe it's the writer's job to sit down at the, ta at the table, at the desk, at the writing jotter or the laptop bringing to their work takes that and, and and ideas about writing and beliefs about writing that would get you shouted at if you shared them on social media you know that you think i think a story should be this the kind of thing that if people from outside you as your if you tweet it and then the tweet leaves the context of the people who know you and and goes off into the ether people get really angry about i remember matt hake the author Matt Haig got like people really, really angry at him when he shared like a little list of like writing advice. And on one of the one of his tips was like, don't don't kill the dog. Everybody likes dogs. People want to see the dog survive to the end. And people went mental at him. Like I took that as being like at least set like having a sort of a sincere point, but being semi-tongue-in-cheek, but also just a list of his ideas about the philosophy he takes to his writing. You would have thought he'd said, always pitchfork a kitten in real life before starting any novel. Its suffering will improve the emotional impact of your work. You'd think he'd said something like that. Apologies for using such a graphic metaphor, but it, it, people were so angry. People were furious. People were scathing. It wasn't even like just disagreeing. It was every author was like, it was like the bat, signal had gone up in in the sky and they were like oh someone's had an opinion about writing i need to go and prepare a statement and have my balcony moment i need i need to walk out and address the crowd because the people need to know and i realize the irony of me saying this in a podcast right uh, I, I i get that but i'm not responding to something that 200 people have already responded to and i i hope that i have a sense of humor about my opinions which are just my opinions but 
It, it was just the emotional valence of it. People were withering and so angry, which which kind of fulfills that that criterion, right? Of notice, I used the proper singular of criteria. Thank you. Of of, of, of taking to your writing some beliefs that will make people, as we used to say when I was in infant school, eggy. Not that you meant cross. It might make that, that, that will people go, no, that's not how you write a book. How dare you? I, f- I feel like bringing that to your work means that you've made a definite choice and you have to make those choices. Just like in Dungeons and Dragons, you know, you of course you can multi-class, but, you know, if you're going to be a wizard, you can't wear heavy armour and carry a sword. You probably can in some builds, but it was a bad metaphor because I know... I need to choose metaphors from domains where I, I'm i ignorant because then I can oversimplify. You know, if I, I can use met- quantum physics metaphors because I know nothing about quantum physics. And so I can start evoking Schrodinger's cat and the thought experiment as if it was a real experiment and quantum superposition and quantum entanglement and and I'll 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 sort of sound super confident because I I don't know I don't know anything about particle wave duality look you see I'm I'm getting look the what I'm trying to say is it's so important to just understand I'm I'm agreeing with with the with the take here it's so important to understand that you are under no obligation to please everybody and that the things that delight you will turn some people off and they will piss some people off. Frankly, if I know... I mean, I could give you my ones now, right? But I want to be clear, I'm not saying these are yours. I'm not saying here's... I, I wouldn't give you my list and say this is what you should do. This is what you should do if you wanted to model how... Tim Clare comes to the page and I, I may also like carry some of these and, and they'd be complete delusions I, I'm, I'm also completely happy with the idea of books books getting away from their authors I think to a certain extent every novel is a failure in the sense that we can't hold on to all the pieces of what we wanted it to be and our conception of it changes in practice you know, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face right or the sort of more military version of that adage is no plan survives contact with the enemy. The enemy, in this case, being the act of writing. And I don't think, you know, I, I don't see it as being quite that pugilistic, quite that uh, adversarial, but it you start writing stuff and you get clarity. You see where you are. You It, it would be... It would show a pathological lack of flexibility for you to come to the page and start writing scenes and not adapt your ideas in the light of new and better information. 
it just seems to me you build a plan of what you want your book to be based on this toy model low fidelity ideas you know about characters you don't know yet you're planning out scenes that you haven't worked out there may be conditions on the ground that you just can't hold in the low-res model of your story that you're keeping in your head and then you get down there you start writing it you get to know these characters you you add little details here and there i hope you do that's what writing is that's the business of writing is little details or at least it is to me is you know one of my takes that i think if you don't care about I, I, I want to be clear just I'm just before I get into any of these these are just the things that I take they're going to sound super judgy because they're and I think yours should too I think yours should too don't necessarily you don't have to get on the fucking balcony and start say, shouting them at people and bellowing at other people that they're wrong if they don't if they don't appropriate them for themselves but it's so important what are you what are you offering to the world, to readers, if you just create something that fits as a sort of clone of books that already exist. I suppose you're offering them more of the same and there are people who will lap that up. You're allowed... But I, 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 just, I just think you deserve more. You owe yourself more. And I think there's probably things you haven't seen. It's not about being perverse. It's not about deliberately being a contrarian dick about it it's about being true to what you care about and you'll have seen stuff on tv and you'll have read books and there'll have been things that you wanted that you were jonesing for that you were fiending for that they weren't giving you and there have been things that they did give you that you love that you believe in that some other people think a naff or not cool or obsc or, or obscure and pretentious whatever those things are you're allowed to go for them you do not have to please everyone and you know for me and it's not true of everyone it is like you only have to look at what's published and what people enjoy to see that it does not matter to everyone but I don't want to apologise for my opinion that if you don't care about the quality of your work on the line, if you don't care about the quality of your prose, if you don't care about what words you choose and where you put them, you have no business writing a novel. Why are you, why are you using this medium? It's a waste of the medium. What's the fucking point? This is not to say, because this will often get reframed by people who maybe write more com commercial fiction, as, as if I don't love adventures, if I, as if I don't love ripping yarns, as if I don't love pulp, as if my ideal scene isn't two people fencing on the burning gondola of an airship. As if I don't want to see that that sword fight continue as they're both forced to bail out and they continue to sword fight as they you know drop through the sky as if i don't want to see them then you know parachuting into the water and then fighting on top of narwhals or something like that you know i love i've written fucking books that have got 
you know, m- mixed martial art nuns and homemade grenades and sawn off shotguns and like I and dungeon crawls. I'm not being a d bag about this, but like I see people who may be writing kind of what they see as being more commercial or more fun fiction frame it as if like oh you know if you don't want to put in all these ten dollar words and you don't want to you know some of us don't care about crafting fancy sentences it's not about fanciness it is not about fanciness it can you know you can do i love using an additive sentence structure i love using complex sentences with parenthetical remarks it's how i talk it's how i'm communicating with you now with these huge sentences with bolt-on conjunctions you can more or less follow what i'm saying i wouldn't write like this precisely it would be simplified so people could follow it and there would be more full stops but human beings are perfectly capable of following long sentences and following clauses where one clause comes in and qualifies the other in some way Jane Austen did a great line in sentences that flipped in the middle I don't think Jane Austen is a difficult writer to read I feel like what she's writing about are human fundamentals it's just like I mean human fundamentals of a certain time and certain classes and certain types of people right I'm not saying that her stories are necessarily as universal as some have claimed but except in the sense that the specific is always universal to to humans um but she does a great line in sentences that you know turn in some ironic way later on in the sentence and i i I, but i also think she's you know she's writing about people falling in love or scandal or gossiping about each other or feeling out of place in a in a new world and not knowing where they fit or thinking about their future or rebelling against expectations or conforming to expectations or rebelling against uh, expectations in a way that doesn't serve them or being selfish or being like these are things that are you know you see in like Japanese courtly romances you see them in well the Tang Dynasty Chinese courtly romances that those Japanese courtly romances were influenced by. You see them in like Indian sagas. You see them all around the world. You see them in the, you know, classical stories of uh, of the shenanigans of the gods, right? And I don't think that her caring about sentence structure which may have slightly my understanding is like that Jane Austen wrote on these tiny little in these tiny little notebook pages initially these sort of I think I want to say my memory might be wrong but like almost like sort of two inch by two inch that sounds 
like I in my head it's they were like post-it note size but I might be out of my mind so don't well do quote me on that but do it having fact-checked me and then you can mock me if you want but my sense is that she was almost seeing sort of one or two sentences at a time when she wrote and that that helped focus her on what her sentence looked and sounded like but look if you are writing a thriller you should care about sentence rhythm it does it's, it's not a situation where prose doesn't matter it does it, all the all the the only the question is always what kind of words do i need for what kind of story it doesn't make you any less a fashioner of prose to be able to tell something in as fewer words as possible pick the right words pick the right details to focus on and deliver those to the reader If you're, you know, you're writing a thriller and you're you're writing in sentence fragments and he, and it's like a bang. He turned around. Light from the outhouse spilled a sickly milky white across the wet grass. That's not fancy writing. I mean, I was just making that up off the top of my head, right? And even that might be too fancy for the the speed you want. But sentence fragments, what you're saying, you know, a, a bang, he turned around. These aren't big. These aren't... That's what you need in situations. And that doesn't make you any less a crafter of prose. But you still have to care. What I see a lot in commercial novels from people who sort of say, oh, I don't, I don't write fancy, is actually often... A lack of editing. Elephantine prose. Where too much is described. You, have you... I mean, have you? Uh, is this just me? Or have you never read a horror novel or a thriller where... It just... It, we suddenly are getting an aside on... Someone getting some fried eggs for breakfast and... A sort of a description of their hotel room that we didn't need. Sentences that feel like a bit of a chore to walk through, like they're just a bit baggy. You know, a lot of I I read. There's I'm not gonna. I early on I used to, to name authors whose stuff I didn't like, and now I've le leaned back from that slightly. Partly because it seems to me a little mean spirited, even if they're hugely successful. Maybe at some stage I'll do it. I don't mind doing it with someone like Jim, Jeffrey Archer because he's a... I, I can't even use the word that I want to use to describe him. But he seems to me like a great example of someone that demonstrates that uh, commercial success in creative writing cannot improve your self-worth one whit. Like, he's a human being, so he's inherently valuable. But I've... And I have... I've, I've met him. Um, didn't give me any insight into his character except you know he, he has uh, an ideology I don't agree with and he's not lived a life that uh, seems to me particularly laudable uh, I, I dare say he has some uh, hidden qualities or, or uh, nice things about him I couldn't comment on that what I'm saying is I don't mind taking the piss out of his dreadful writing um, the purpose isn't to I suppose the only other reason I sometimes don't like to do that is because if I'm sort of letting rip on someone and then you look at your own writing and it's rather similar or you've made the similar mistakes 
And I've probably made similar mistakes in my writing as well. My voice went high there for reasons I'm not quite sure of. Um, I, you know, I make these mistakes as well. Then me mocking someone for writing, for having produced a bad piece of writing, which is no moral crime at all. But me laying into them as a person, uh, it just, it, it has, it, it risks having unintended side effects. It, it risks collateral damage because then people go, well, I write like that. Does that make me as dreadful as Jeffrey Archer? No, he's, you know, any any reason to sort of not like him is to do with his actions outside writing. He's just a a bad writer whose profile is has been bumped up. For the, for those Americans who don't know, he was a conservative MP in the UK who went to prison and also wrote uh lots of very very bad commercial novels, like really crap. And he's bad on the line. You know, we. Uh, I think Morrissey is another person who sort of has said a lot of things and expressed a lot of views that are dreadful. Um, and his novel is horrible to read. Uh, even so, I don't think that he set out to write a bad novel. I think he set out to create value in every line. Um but it, he just wrote all woo. Now, that, you know, that's someone who's trying to make every sentence interesting, but it just was badly edited and badly written. <laughs> like, but the editing, you know, if you have a good relationship with an editor who's prepared to work with you over years, you might be able to get something usable out of it. And I think some high profile people just are badly edited. But what, all of which, it was, you know, my. A central point from that is that I read a lot of commercial fiction, which is just hard going, just has a lot of filler. You know, is 600 pages and didn't need to be. It just doesn't feel like a thriller to me. It feels like a filler. And I've read commercial fantasy that I'm just like, why am I here? Why are you... Where was your fucking editor? Why should I care? Why are you so bad on the line? Why do you have such a tin ear for dialogue? I mean, I've said without any dissembling whatsoever that I think Michael Moorcock's uh, The History of the Runestaff books are shite. But I don't feel too bad about saying that because he himself said that he wrote each one in three days. Yeah, it reads like he wrote them in three days. I mean, it's quite an impressive feat that he wrote them in three days each. And I think that's, you know, he wrote a draft of each one in three days. Having pre-planned a bit of where he's going to go and then just like hammered it out. But it's super perfunctory. It's super perfunctory. It just died. And there's other, you know, there's other authors some of them very successful who I just I just like why am I why is this so big with nothing happening like you're not making these lines work for you you're not making this plot work for you there's no sense of economy there's no sense that you value and want to honor my time and and, and that is what I care about in writing you know like it should feel like you are honouring the reader's 
time and whether you are doing that with rich description well you just why not why shouldn't each sentence have a have a have a have a purpose you know if if an author is able to knock out thousands and thousands and thousands of words a day and multiple novels a year i've just never seen that happen where those books aren't shite <laughs> like that's i'm sorry that's how i feel that's how i feel and there are other people who feel differently and this is what i mean about like coming out with cancelable takes but they can inform your writing is like I don't want to read anyone who's wasting my time. Uh, a good book is like distilled, like any great piece of art is distilled time. It's the preparation that the artist has put into learning their craft. It's the, it's the work they then put into making the piece and then it's the work they make into finishing it. You know, a vase is distilled time. It's hours and hours of work hundreds of hours of practice maybe that's then poured into this shape that's then this then this glazed vase or this pot or whatever it is I then get to use it and I don't have to learn all those things myself and I don't have to make it myself I don't have to spend the hundreds of hours learning how learning to get to that level and then the hours to make the actual piece I don't have to spend that time because someone has distilled that time into a single physical object so it's the gift of time that's what you're buying that's why what you're receiving when you experience well art or any craft right and and that's what i feel like a story is it's it's, it's a direct function of it's distilled time poured into the shape of a book into these words and you can pour fuck all in you know you like you can I like, I like a fried egg as much as the next uh i guess vegetarian luddite but you know, that's not a lot of distilled time to crack an egg and then fry it, right? And sometimes you just want a fried egg. That's fine. But, I mean, of course, there's lots of you, you know, if we don't want to get philosophical here, I'm just using it as a metaphor because, of course, it's, you know, come from generations of hens and the farmers and there's transportation systems. And, of course, we bred chickens over centuries you don't have to tell me about the history of chicken breeding i have a a book called beautiful chickens which are various prize collectors show breeds of chickens that me and my daughter occasionally look at i you know i understand that <laughs> see this is why this, I, tim stop I can't use metaphors or similes anymore because I know tiny bits about different so many different areas. Cars and football, maybe those are the only areas. I don't know anything about the automotive industry or the beautiful game. And so I maybe I can use those two as metaphor my my stock metaphors and similes now. And it will be like fingernails down a blackboard to anyone who knows about those areas. 
but I will feel free to use them without circling back to release a patch <laughs> to make my metaphor or simile make logical sense or at least to flag up the ways in which it doesn't work. What I'm saying is like it, I, I, I care that the worlds I write feel lived in. I care that they feel rich and I care that I'm not wasting the reader's time. And I'm fucking lucky, actually, that I've got like I've worked with really great, talented agent and editors who kind of feel the same thing. And I get manuscripts back and there's like large sections crossed out. That's a that's a good direction of travel for me. That's a direction of travel I feel comfortable with. I mean, I don't initially feel comfortable with it. I feel aggrieved. I feel hurt. I feel shocked and appalled that they would hurl such treasures upon the editorial bonfire. What do you mean? This is central to the book. But at some point you've got to cut into live meat and at some point you've got to honour the reader's time. And I just feel that there's a lot of authors out there. This is I've done one take so far and it's just me criticising other authors. I don't mean it to be that, but I just care about your sentences. Compare If you don't care about how words sound, if you don't care about the rhythm of a book, you know, like Joe Dunthorne, who I've had on twice now on the podcast, uh, one for a live show and one uh, where I was just interviewing him, who wrote the novel Submarine. Uh, he would go to readings and have his copy of the, you know, whatever he was reading out and still be crossing out in pencil things in the published novel to make it a better, smoother experience for the audience when he read out. It was still kind of like refining it. And of course, reading something aloud is a different medium to reading it on the page. So there are those considerations. But it was just like honouring people's time. I don't feel that's like this pernickety, finicky, anal, pretentious... It doesn't make you some kind of like clinical word surgeon, you know, the 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 cenobite of prose fiction, horribly eliding, scalpel cutting out this adverb here and and then stitching it back up with your black gossamer thread. I I I I um I don't. It's not about that. It's not about having utter control. It's just about giving a shit. And there are a lot of authors who want to write adventures who just don't give a shit about their work on the line. And it shows and it makes it suck and I don't enjoy it. It's fucking boring for me to write, to read your limp-ass dialogue that doesn't feel like it was spoken by humans and your fucking... 
the first thing you think of description of a room. Don't tell me someone's going through a room picking up the burglar going through the dark room picking up knickknacks and whatnots. Like, what is on the fucking desk? Just pick something. What's wrong with you? You couldn't be fucking bothered, that's why. And and, and there are some people who want to read stuff and, and they, they just want it to go down like a... a single Rivita cracker and a glass of water. Just like have... It just has no footprint whatsoever. And I just want my stuff to be fucking fiddling and weird. I, I, I want it to feel like... A, like a swarm of tiny clockwork beetles pouring out of your mouth when you meant to say hello to the pretty girl that you fancy. I, 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 I want it to feel like you wake up and looking look out the the window and, and a purple fog has vanished the road and street and you barely see the tops of trees and the upper stories of houses and within that fog shapes Piscine shapes and serpentine shapes are, are, are visibly moving. I don't want it to just be another fucking retread of everything that's come before. I mean, look, I had uh, Alexander Gordon-Smith on one of the first ever... Uh, interviews I did on this podcast. He has gone on to write uh, a bunch of, like, I guess, crime thriller novels, um, including Paper Girls was one of them. And I've and I've read the opening of of that book, and it's really good. It, it it ended up like he ended up like it ended up being like the fifth best selling ebook in the in the UK in like 2020 I want to say like it did really well but like I read like him on the line and he's writing exactly the way he needs to for that genre and for something you set something up quickly I like I feel like he's not wasting my time I can see why people vibed with that those novels right and then he's used stuff from his own life especially like his relationship with his daughters to give it like a real sense of character and uniqueness and like it matters but this is not someone who doesn't care about work on the line okay and, and that's what i want to say is i'm not saying what i hate is reading commercial fiction where they're not taking on the challenge of that. Something that I so struggle with because just like being quick and to the point, picking your details. What matters in this? What doesn't matter? That's a hard, hard decision for me.
I, I want to talk about the smoked glass balusters lining the edge of the balcony, you know? I, I, I want to talk about the strange, leathery balloon of stitched patches wheezing over the smog-choked city. I, I, I want to talk about those odd puffer-fished-faced scientists working in the back room of the Institute. Those things matter to me and I care about them and that's always going to be the genre that I'm writing in or probably it will often be the genre I'm writing in which is kind of weird gothic. That is what I care about. I love the repressed psychological boiling over but I also love that it's real and that's what I care about and that's what I want to have um, but I feel like a universal that I think should apply to everyone is like giving a shit about your language I, I, I just think that the, the demands on you are different your victory conditions are completely different for for different genres and there's some genres i just i can't imagine i mean like of course you know romance is not just a genre it's also <laughs> part of many human beings lives so just because you don't write in the romance genre doesn't mean that your stories can't have romantic liaisons can't have people falling in love people falling out of love people having sexy tension like I, even me putting sexy tension in a silly voice shows that i it's something that i don't feel is playing to my natural strengths or at least i don't feel confident writing it i i think maybe slightly reflecting my romantic clumsiness in real life i i you know i i've never historically been good at spotting indications or signals that somebody might be interested which I, I i think has not posed that many problems since that's not a large category but um but when it ha on the few occasions that somebody has been i have not been in any way cognizant of that interest and so maybe i'm not super good uh, writing about romance also I feel quite exposed and vulnerable I, I'm constantly convinced that however I write a character's sort of attraction to another character or whatever it'll either be cliched or it will instantly be read as me talking about myself and my own preferences and interests right so I, I continually feel like I'm exposing m m myself uh, in the um, platonic sense uh, exposing some assumption because it's but that's why it's such a fucking good thing to write about right because for many people it matters and it's emotionally charged and, and and so when we kind of bump up against those things we can go well look you don't have to make this the main focus of your writing but we can care about it but what i'm saying is i have deep respect for writers in the romance genre because i know i would struggle to do it well Maybe if I worked really hard on it, I could 
I, could, I mean, I certainly know I could get better at it. I, I think that's true of everyone. Um, but would I have the patience and the fortitude and the sort of willingness to do that? I don't know. Probably not. You know, I think it's something I can work on. But yeah, so I'm, I'm saying like people working in different genres. And I, and I, 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 I think that there are a few... It's a real struggle for me to find other people who write like me. And I like my writing, you know, that my published writing. Often I don't like it when I'm working on it, but I like what I've done. I like the worlds I've created. I like the nonfiction books I've done. And, and no one else can do that because they're not me and I'm fucking good at what I do because I care. Right. I'm not instantly good at what I do. In case you can't tell, I've come back from Essen feeling like weirdly revived i wrote a bunch it was like non-fiction i wrote some non-fiction about games yesterday and then i wrote my like essen report which was like two thousand odd words really quickly really enjoyed writing it really enjoyed thinking about it felt like my non-fiction voice was coming through great and i'm super psyched about writing some fiction like I say I've been working a bit more on this fiction novel and I do you know what you know you, you see a lot of articles about creative burnout I think I've been creatively burnt out I think I've been generally burnt out I think the hard parts of this year drained my battery and the place that that energy was not left for was creative writing and fiction. And I've just come back feeling kind of bouncy. That sounds sort of luder than I meant it to be. Maybe it didn't. Maybe. But I. Yeah, it doesn't feel. No, it doesn't feel. It just feels weird. I feel bouncy. It just feels slightly unhinged but like it it's just i now i'm i'm i, I realize as i say it there's part but there is like a, a nascent terror in me and a that's like saying well just don't count your chickens timmy boy because the practice of actually writing is often a little bit harder than just thinking about it true true but i'm sort of super psyched like i I wrote yesterday and some stuff came out without my even thinking about it, you know. And that doesn't make it good writing, but it makes it writing that's appeared on some page, right? That's, you know, I can work on stuff that I've put down in... And I wasn't even... Like, I wrote... I wrote nearly 3,000 words yesterday and I was doing it on my phone because I was travelling from Essen sort of north to uh, Amsterdam and then back to Norwich... And I just, nothing's really changed, except I don't feel exhausted and tired. I've had a streaming cold the past two weeks. It's been really grim. Oh, it's horrible. It, it, I'm more or less better now, but it's not been great. It wasn't COVID, by the way. I got tested. But, um, but I haven't felt just naturally like I want to write for ages and that's quite a painful place to be in if you invest 
too heavily, which I absolutely do in the identity writer, in the identity author. It, it, it's actually a slightly terrifying thing to feel like I just don't really want to write. And I think when I write, it's going to be bad. Now, now I don't get, now I don't care. I'm going to, I want to give it a go. I'm like excited. Look, maybe it's also because I went off and I've been playing games for a week. And all of these games have got stories and all of these games have got worlds. And some of those stories and worlds, you know, you read, you hear about and they, they are told lots of, you know, games explanations in, 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 in with people with sort of like very, uh, who English isn't their first language. And so I've got lots of this very delightful German rules explanations. Um, but also loads of theme, you know, from ghost stories to war uh, thrillers to, you know, I played a game called Lacrimosa, which is based on you're trying to finish Mozart's final composition. He died before he could finish it and you are travelling around Europe retracing the places that gave him inspiration, his his final memories when he was writing this and you are also funding this by performing his works and sometimes selling the rights to them to other conductors who can then uh, perform them and, and you make sort of money off that and then by recruiting composers to write the final parts of this score for this last piece of this great composer and um it kind of had a beautiful grand sweep to it and for all the pretentiousness soundingness of of that theme it's pretty fun and i i understood how to play it which shocked me and i played some games that just made my head fizz and I was like, yeah, this is it. This is like creativity happening. And I was out in the world again after years of, you know, that was the first Essen in three years. Never been before. And I was there and people were creating and I just felt good. And I felt, in, I felt whisper it, inspired. And I felt like that is a world I can be part of, not making games, but making stories you know and telling stories also some stuff you play or see is shite it's really bad i guess there's a type this is type one and type two inspiration right type one inspiration is the conventional feeling of awe when you engage with a story or a life experience that makes you think, wow, this is incredible. And this makes me want to write in order that I can convey some crumb, some snapped off pickled fragment of this experience to other people. I want to give this feeling. I think the example I've used before is of just one that I can think of off the top of my head is when I first watched and actually every time I watch spirited away and Chihiro is climbing round the side of the bathhouse and the ventilation kind of pipe that she's on 
gives way under her feet and there's a long shot of the side of the bathhouse and the water below. And that feeling of vertigo and swimminess I felt. I don't know, it's such a, what an odd point of reference. But expansive wonder and transportation and I don't know if anything I do does that probably it doesn't but being not here but there that's that's magic to me and that's type one inspiration type two inspiration is seeing something so crap uh, that you'd kind of look, look around to see if you're the victim of an elaborate practical joke and realising you're not, go, well, if this is the bar I've got to clear, I can do better than this. This is this was created by somebody laudably unimpeded by imposter syndrome. Who just went, yeah, I'll give that a crack. And you go, well, if this is, this is fucking it, then I can do this. Like, I can do better than that. Oh, right, everyone's winging it. Oh, I see, this isn't a meritocracy. Oh, I get it, right, okay. Ah, okay, so this is like, this whole thing is a bit of a joke. And that's type two inspiration where you just go, well, I'm not going to criticise myself if this is the shit that's being, having money pumped into it, right? Someone, multiple people signed off on this and this is wank. Right? That's actually quite good. I don't know, that feels, it feels a bit dirty and naughty. It feels like you're burning unclean fuel when you do that. It feels like you're running your car on sort of un, like irreplaceable like peat moss or something like that. It's just like burning clouds of like black smoke as you, as, as you, as you wreck uh, ancient peatlands. But um, see, I used a car metaphor there. Did you like why well, is a car simile? but um, you can't run a car on Pete. Um, but you knew that. You, well, I mean, technically, I suppose what the bit part of Pete that's being being consumed is, is is oil, right? Is that the case? So I suppose in a sense... Anyway. So those are, the, like, the, those are the two things that you can get. And I feel like I'm filled up with both coming back from Essen because there was some crap there as well. There was some really ropey shit. Um... And and I think if you fill up too much on type two inspiration, uh, you realise that like lots of celebrities are going to get their book published this Christmas. Lots of celebrities are going to get stuff put out. Lots of people who just have a TV platform are going to sell miles more books than you. Because readers will step out, you know, because TV will give them pat plat and papers will give them platforms to promote their work and will prioritise them. The literary festivals they go to will will book them and their slots will sell out. And also, like, readers just don't come to authors they haven't heard of, but they'll all buy tickets to go and see somebody who's got one or two TV shows or is is a celebrity. And that that's just always been the way, right? And... They'll, they're more likely to buy something by, oh, it's that person off TV wrote this. And so if you fill up on too much type 2 inspiration, 
you can start feeling a bit jaded and what's the point and that's when you need to go back to the type one that's where you need a balance and, and you know possibly if you do too much type one you can just feel like this wee dormouse in the realm of the titanic giants you know just kind of gazing up as the dawn frames these vast stone behemoths going, wow, I'm so different to them. Wow, these great authors, these great stories, these great works of art. So we have the balance. We can know this, a lot of this is written by Muppets. And also the wow is what, the, and the awe, and then a little bit of fine tuning is what makes the wow. And also sometimes we've got to make stuff for our tribes, you know, and our people. Maybe there is this like central great, herd, I hesitate to use the word herd because it sounds disparaging, but maybe there is a, a majority of people who want a certain type of art or a certain type of story and that's fine and that's cool and that's okay you know I, I i i there's loads of stuff i love that's popular like i love lord of the rings that is the fucking most mainstream piece of fantasy ever it might even be these days like one of the most mainstream stories ever right like millions and millions of dollars are being pumped into fat grand epic fantasy story productions and into superhero movies like being a geek and liking weird stuff is not some fringe position so sometimes i like stuff that is also recognized by loads of people to be great and then sometimes i like stuff that's like super out there and i'm so grateful that i don't only have stuff that clears a certain threshold of popularity to love and enjoy because it's often those weirder things, those more outre things, those more specific things that tessellate with the gaps in my heart and, and, and fit them like a key fits its lock, you know. The purpose of art is not to generate long signing cues at Gen Con. The purpose of art is to speak the truth without stating the obvious. And I'm really up for doing that badly and then going back and trying to make it better. And I hope, having listened to this, that you can find some of that fuel inside you too. But if you can't at the moment, then please just have a little bit of faith in the seasons of creativity. Keep reading, keep putting stuff in your storehouse. Work at building up your ability to concentrate on a text or... Watch movies if you can't read at the moment, you know. Go for walks. 
and it it will come it will come right okay that's it for this episode if you've enjoyed the episode that you can support me in three key ways one is to buy my new book coward why we get anxious and what we can do about it which is out now and there's links in the description in the show notes i really appreciate it if you would because it's my new book and i need people to buy it to convince my publishers that i'm not a dead loss uh i also think is like one of the best things i've written but i'm gonna just appeal to your love for me rather than intrinsic properties of the product this time that's my new marketing strategy secondly you can uh support the podcast by going to my coffee page which is linked in the show notes as well that's ko-fi.com forward slash tim claire drop me a few beans to help me keep the lights on pay for hosting costs etc um i don't have any sponsors for this podcast so it's literally kept alive not literally kept alive it's not it doesn't have it hasn't acquired sentience yet it's not skynet but it's uh i'm kept going i'm literally kept alive by your donations it's not no that's you're not i won't die if you don't drop some money for the podcast i might but i probably won't but i could um and finally you can just go and share the podcast this podcast death of a thousand cuts on sock med social media that is um and uh, let other people know what right that it exists that's it take care deep and sincere love to you oh yeah wait, wait, wait a minute and we've also got an online community the the the, the death of a thousand cuts discord server lots of folks turning up talking about writing they we've set up a a beta reader group where you can find people to read your longer pieces of work and offer to read other people's you can kind of find people who maybe you're on the same page with what you like and don't like and have got a shared understanding there's that there's first page critiques on there there's, we're just talking about writing what we've been reading there's a little chat area about the podcast um it just uses the discord app it's very nice it's very chill um and there's a link to that in the show notes as well or you can just look for you can just google death of a thousand cuts discord that's it that is it now um take care thank you for listening this far and i hope you have a wonderful week of writing <laughs>